Verdadores. A dedicated dad and long-distance parent, I'm raising two boys in two countries, and in each episode, I invite another dad to join me in a podcast adventure to talk about our journey as parents. We will discuss the messiness of modern dadding and the challenges of long-distance parenting. At the end of each episode, I will be checking in with psychologist and fellow dad Todd Kettner as he shares his insights into parenthood. My name is Blue, and I am a Dad Without Borders. So on today's show, I have Catherine Williams joining me. She is a clinical social worker, and for over 20 years, she's been working with families, and she has incredible knowledge around secure attachment. So this seems to be something that, from everything that I've learned, that is really key to raising a healthy child no matter what age they're at, we need to understand and do work to make sure that they have a secure attachment with us. Um, So if you're a dad that you've been working away, maybe you're co-parenting, so you only see your kid one week on, one week off. Maybe you see them one weekend a month. Maybe like me, your kid lives overseas or you're away working for a number of months. So there are things we can do to build, maintain and build the secure attachment. And even though we do talk about babies and toddlers at the beginning of the episode, we will talk later on about, you know, when kids are older and what you can do. So, yeah, I think this is a really good episode for any parent. But yeah, I certainly come at it from the perspective of a dad, but it's relevant just as much to mums as well. So, Catherine, thank you so much for taking the time to join me on the podcast today. I'm really excited that we can do this. I am too. Thanks for having me. So let's, so I'm going to jump in with an introduction and then I'll get you to fill in the gaps. So Catherine, for all the listeners out there, Catherine is a clinical social worker that I've, I've worked with in the past to help me understand more about the theory of attachment with my young son when he would have been five years old was when I first went to Catherine. So at that point, he was going to be long term in the UK, but coming back here in holidays. So I went to understand more about that, about the attack, not really about the attachment, but then I learned about the theory of attachment and I found it really, really useful as a parent. And then I will say, too, that we've also got I say we've gone to Catherine and props to my wife here who did actually to help with the transition of our young child going to daycare. And that was amazing as well. And he's been thriving there. So yeah, so we have a relationship in the past. And so that's why I've wanted Catherine to come in because I think it's a really useful, it's really useful theory to understand on some level. And I think it could be valuable for parents, whether you're living apart from your kid or you know, daycare transitioning or you know, school, whatever. Um, So yeah, I've managed to relate it to lots of different parts of my life. So I'm really excited that Catherine can be here to share. And I'm hoping, and we'll see what happens, but I'm hoping that Catherine can jump in on some of the other conversations down the road here. So Catherine, it would be great, I think, because it's a parenting podcast. If you could, it'd be really lovely if you could introduce your family. Sure. I, uh, I originally grew up in Nova Scotia and have a huge extended family there. So I, you know, as I've, um, matured in my profession I've reflected a lot on those those roots and how much they have influenced me and my value on on family and doing family work I um I'm a parent I'm in a family of four my husband Andrew and my two kids Liam is 21 and my daughter Eliza is 17 so we're actually at a very we're nearing a different developmental stage in our family with two young young adults and both leaving home at the same time. My son has been at the local college for the past couple of years, so has still been living at home. We've been able to support him in that way. And, um, but he's, he's gonna be looking for a place in the next while. And um, my daughter will be heading off to UBC. So- Wow, yeah. big changes, eh? Big change. Big yeah. changes. Um, Exciting and sad all at the same time. Yeah, no doubt, no doubt, mm-hmm. mixed emotions. 
So on the so I I mentioned that you're a clinical social worker, but yeah, maybe you could just briefly sum up your sort of professional background. Sure. I knew I wanted to be a therapist. Social workers can do you know many different types of work, including you know working in a hospital setting or in a community agency. And so I did research and and um, went to the University of Calgary, where uh, again a very clinical focus. So my uh, practicum for the year was working in a an agency similar to uh, what I'm what I'm doing now where it was just all all therapy working with families working with parents and then I I worked in Nova Scotia for two years at child and youth mental health and then moved here and did the same work for uh, almost 20 years or just over 20 years I've lost track but my my experience really um, has really helped me to get to where I am today and that that is to have like learn from the families that I worked with. In the beginning, it was really quite popular um, to work with children on their own, older children, but to work with them on their own. And we didn't really work with younger children. And over the years, I, I realized that if we really wanted to help support families making shifts that, that were good for children and for the parents as well, for the whole family, we really needed to, to work with the parents, with the child, often present or just with the parents separately. So now, my whole model of practice is that I see the parents first on their own without the child or teen present. And then throughout the course of my work with the family, even with older teens, I want to see the parents on their own uh, woven throughout, throughout the work. And with young children, I often have a parent or both parents present throughout the sessions. Yeah, it makes sense. And did you work for the ministry as well? Or you've, has it always been a private practice? No, um, I, so I, I worked for about 20 years in the Nelson Child and Youth Mental Health. So that was under the umbrella of the Ministry for Children and Family Development. But there's um, child protection, which I have no experience with, and um, adoptions. There's resources for foster parents under, under that umbrella. And child and youth mental health is one, one service. So that was the service that I worked for as a therapist for a long time. Right. And I'm so glad I had had those foundational years because um, you get your work as a team. So um, there's always the, the support to really um, help deepen your perspective and uh, take you back to like ground zero around what's important. What's the reason for the referral? What are we what are we working on? And um, I can't imagine going into private practice right off the bat without having those foundational years with a team or having a consulting psychiatrist to help educating yeah, yeah. the professional yeah. development so let's jump into what i found the most well there's many things i've found useful talking to you um over the last few years but particularly with the attachment theory so i'd love for you to explain what attachment theory is and i'm wondering i've been wondering this recently like is this something that really we should be given a handout about this as we leave the hospital like because it seems like such a key part of you know raising children mm -hmm. to build a secure attachment so I'd really love for you to just kind of give us a mm -hmm. broad sweeping brush of what it is yeah I I'm, I'm going to talk about it in really simple terms you you could spend you know weeks and weeks and years and years <laughs> reading about attachment theory but what I what I've noticed over the years is there can be a lot of confusion um, by other professionals and of course for parents around this this topic so for example i hear a lot um i hear the terms he or she is not attached versus they are attached and what i like parents to understand when i'm talking to them in informal terms about it is all children have an attachment style to a parent whether the parent is actively in their life whether they have um, really effective parenting skills or not the child is attached. It's whether it's in that, like on the continuum of attachment, whether it's toward the secure end of the attachment style or whether it's an insecure attachment style. Does that make sense the way I've said it? Yeah, it totally makes sense. That's that's yeah. the very basic understanding that I have is those two non-attachment, secure attachment. Secure, insecure. Oh, sorry, yeah. insecure and yeah, secure. But they're, all, they're all attached. There is an attachment there. So whether it's secure or insecure. And the part that would be helpful, as you're saying, Blue, 
for parents to know is what sorts of um, what sorts of things can parents do to increase the security in the attachment style between themselves and their child. So are we ultimately, and it makes sense to me, but I just wonder, are we ultimately wanting, we want secure attachment? Like that's the healthiest child yes. is a securely attached child to, to the main carers. Yeah. Whoever they yeah. may be, grandparent, you know, whoever is the main carer. Yeah, their main parent or caregiver. And yeah, on that note, a child can have a secure attachment to one parent and an insecure attachment to another parent or a caregiver. Yeah. So, so immediately um, now, if I was listening to this, I would immediately feel that if I was the parent away working, maybe perhaps, you know, mm -hmm. traditionally a lot of dad, and it's not always the case now, a lot of both parents often will be working. And so we do here in, in our household. Um, I could imagine people think, well, I'm the one that's now working away. So now it's always going to be the mom who's there every day. That's going to have the secure attachment. Like, is that automatically how it kind of plays out? No. No, no, it's not, it's not based on um, the time, the time spent with a parent. It really is about um, the quality of interaction and the child's experience in the relationship with that, with that parent. Um, it's considered a protective factor for children to have even one secure attachment to an important adult in their life. They can have, um, you know, a lot of unfortunate things happen in their life, uh, complex trauma, um, but these these kids can really uh, end up thriving if they've got one secure attachment in their life. Obviously, you know, it's ideal if they have more than one secure attachment, but to go back to what you were saying, no, it, it doesn't have to, it's not necessarily that a child is going to have a secure attachment just because they have um, a certain number of hours in a day with a parent, you can absolutely have a secure attachment with, with a dad overseas, for example. Right. Yeah. So I think, I think there's a lot of people that would appreciate that because I think, yeah, I mean, certainly I have quite an extreme situation of my kid being overseas and I've worked really hard and we'll talk shortly about maybe some ideas around how to do that. And you was, you know, I can't tell you, honestly, um, the sense of relief I had just in the simple, just even the, the simplest idea of like, no, you can maintain secure attachment when they're overseas. Just even knowing that I was like, okay, now it's on. Like now I'm right. game, like, like send me in. I'm going to make sure this happens <laughs> and work hard to make it happen. But also the thing that we have with our youngest, and I think a lot of parents out there are prob probably in very similar boat, which is the slight bit of guilt that you get. Um, and I, I'm okay with my kid who's two going to daycare and he's in daycare four days a week. But I have to say, when I pick him up sometimes now, it's just, it's almost breaking my heart. You know, he's running around, he's happy. But I'm just like, ah, mm -hmm. oh, you want to be the person that's there with him all day. And mm -hmm. I think it's good for people to realize, you know what? It's quality of time. It's not always that's the right. of time because you need time for yourself and they need time to socialize. And there's loads of positives about daycare, actually. Mm -hmm. So I think it's really good yes. that you say that and share that. Yeah, there are, there are parents who... Um, have children with them all day long who are burned out or um, where the parents are not um, really connected as a couple or um, you know there are challenges that are not being addressed and it's really difficult or challenging for those children in that that are uh, being held in that relationship and in in a you know a, a situation where a parent like I said is you know burned out or really stressed or struggling with mental health issues for that those children to to thrive and to feel really secure so it, it's important that every family or every parent is considering what works best for them and what works best for them absolutely influences the child. Right. Right. I think, yeah, that's a really good, yeah. good reminder for a lot of people, I think. Um, yeah. So, yeah, cause I think there's a perception sometimes that sending a kid off to daycare can be traumatizing for them. Um, mm -hmm. So yeah, maybe yeah, actually that can. would, and it can. So maybe that's a good place to start with the younger children. How can we ease that transition? What, you know, what are there some simple tricks and tips that we can do? Because they're too young to be, mm -hmm. to, to kind of understand and to like sit them down, explain things. And I can talk about that with my oldest boy, but with mm -hmm. the younger ones, yeah, what do we do? Yeah. So when children are really young, if we're talking about, you know, infants, ideally the number of separations from parents is limited. 
and um, you know, even in the toddler years. So, you know, here I was just saying like it's important for parents to um, to consider what works best for them, whether it's you know family bed or or going you know on an overnight uh, date or just out for for dates. It it also needs to be considered in the context of your child's needs. There isn't like one blanket, you know, formula to attach to every single family. Some, it has to do with temperament. It has to do with the family's experiences to, up to that point of making that decision. You know, we, I remember we, um, we wanted our, our eldest, my son to, to go to um, a daycare when he was young and he had a very shy temperament and he never enjoyed it. Never. Our daughter didn't end up needing to go. We were able to rejig our our schedule, um, but it it was never. I think he learned to to tolerate it, but it was never something. You know, some kids you see being dropped off, and and they're really happy to be there. Um, so to answer your question, some of the things that, that can really be helpful for children who don't feel really secure and confident going into a, a situation is if it's possible to have a smaller, a smaller setting where the, and obviously the ratio of, of adults or caregivers to children is really important to consider, but also the needs of the other children going, going there. So, you know, is there, are the, is there enough um, attention for children to really feel held in? So there's this concept of right relationship. Maybe I'll just speak to this for a moment. Um, and if you could see my hands, I have one, one hand higher, higher than the other. It's really important and part of feeling, having a secure attachment for children to feel like the adult, whether it's the parent or the caregiver or the teacher, that they, that, that adult um, has got their back, that they know what the child needs and they're, they're able to meet those needs in a confident way. So children are picking up, it's a felt sense that they have in the body. It's not, it's not the words that the adult uses. It's the felt sense they have in the company of that, of that person that they, they can trust that parent or they can trust that that adult knows, they know the way. So like little ducklings behind mama or father duck. Um, yeah, I can follow them. No questions asked. I mean, trust. Um, yeah, yeah. Yeah. I'm not saying literally that the children shouldn't ask questions, but there's that felt sense of like, yeah, I'll, I'll follow them anywhere. Right. So um, for some for some children, um, they need more time adjusting to a setting like that, whether they're toddlers or whether they're um, you know four, five, six year olds in an after after school setting. They need parents to be there dropping them off. There needs to be a good time um, with the transition. So some kids need a little more time. COVID's really thrown a wrench on this for a lot of parents because of the distancing or they're not able to come into the schoolyards. But ideally, there's head nods. Right now, you and I are nodding our head, you know, talking to one another. There's this nonverbal communication that happens unconsciously and little, especially pre-verbal children, um, they're, they're watching. They're picking up what's happening in the parent's nervous system and they're watching the, the teacher or the, the preschool staff you know, smiling, hey, how was your weekend? That camping trip, how did it go? Johnny's um, a little bit tired today, didn't have the best sleep last night, you know, we got home late. There's just, there's an experience for that child of, okay, the attachment baton, if you will, is being passed from my parent over to this other caregiver. My parent is saying in so many words, I trust your heart and your care with this other adult. Totally yeah. makes sense. A, a question pops into my head though. Yeah. So here I am. I'm now a parent who has guilt because my child is creating a secure attachment with someone at a daycare center. And is that in any way going to disrupt the secure attachment they have with me? Well, that's an interesting question. I, I think it depends on the quality of the time that you have with your child when you are with them. So if you, if you pick your child up and you take them home and you're busy um, and of course you need to make dinner and tend to chores like, you know, tidying up or doing laundry and 
whatever, if, if the quality of the presence during that time that you have with your child, at least like, it's just, we, we, we're going for good enough here. We're not going for perfect parenting. There doesn't need to be, you know, candlelight and nice music and nobody's crying or whatever. It's not like, we're not going for that. We're going for the, the, the experience that the child has. My parent is, is with me. They, I have a sense of belonging in the family. I am important. There's unconditional love there. You can be frazzled and busy and still have moments of connection. And yeah, a child knows the difference. So we, we want children, though, to feel, to really feel like, like that delight that a parent has in their eye when they pick up their child. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah I think that's a really good point, too, because sometimes we find ourselves both in the kitchen for a moment and... And it could be either of us, actually, I'm, you know, but it could be me saying, okay, I've got this, go, go sit, go sit with the little one, or it could be the other way around, right? But making sure that like, you know what, who cares the dishes, let's do it after the kid goes to bed. But let's one of us, we try and do sit with and so we try and sit with as a family too, when we're eating, but it doesn't always Definitely. happen if they're hungry, yeah. but it's like somebody be present, somebody read stories yeah. while instead of him just sitting there waiting for dinner, it's yeah. like somebody's having that interaction. Um, I love dinner time. I absolutely, um, I, I consider that to be a protective factor and I'm seeing it become so much more diluted over the years. It's, phones. it's, it's actually a, an assessment question for me I went, uh, right oh, really? away when I, sorry. I was going to say, really? Like an, yeah. an assessment question in a sense of what, like, what are you looking for in that perfect sort of dinner time around the table? Well, there's different parts of a day where I say parents can get a lot of bang for their buck in the attachment realm. Uh, dinner time can be one of them. And it doesn't, yeah. it doesn't need to be like the Waltons. Um, I suppose a lot of the listeners are too young to know what that is. It doesn't, it doesn't <laughs> I'm need, with you, but yeah. Totally. <laughs> it doesn't need to be picture perfect again, where everybody's getting along and no one's yelling. But the idea, like when children know that there are rituals in the family, whether it's around the good morning rituals or what happens at breakfast or a dinner ritual, but something that makes the family unique. So when kids have the language of, you know, in our family for Thanksgiving, we do this or for birthdays, we, we do this. Or in my family, Friday night is game night. Like sometimes I hear that from children. Those are protective factors and they increase the sense of security for children in a family. So dinner that. time breaking bread you know you're nourishing the children you're finding out about how their day went or what else is happening hopefully nothing too serious there's there can be a lightness but it's a coming together the entire family for even five minutes and sometimes that's all families can get when children are really little but it is an, an, an important ritual it's like uh, bedtime too or um, how how parents say goodbye so again this separation thing when kids leave or the parent needs to leave the home, how that goes is important. Uh, and the same when they come back. So even if you've left for a couple of hours to go for a bike ride, how you greet your kids when you come back, how that, so in some families I, I work with where there, there isn't any ritual of good morning or goodbye or reunion in the home. People right. just kind of come in and they just pick up. There is no, there, that delight that I'm talking about like that felt sense that children can, I still remember um, going to my grandparents' house as a, as a child, um, opening, the door was never locked. I'm sure it still isn't. Um, walking into the kitchen and my grandmother always being at the kitchen table, always peeling potatoes. And just the look in her eye, I made her day. I had a felt sense that happened when she looked at me, when I came into that house, I'm sure all of my you know, 20 something cousins all had the same, the same experience, but I still remember that. And that, you know, it's important. And when I talk to teachers and daycare providers, I say the same thing. Every single child needs to be greeted, even if it's for one second, but where there's a look in your eye and you say the child's name, you, you, you let, you know, the golden light emulate from you and wash over that child. So they have that experience of I'm important. I belong. I'm cared for. I'm loved. That's a really good share. You know, I just, the, the other day I was thinking about this and I've, I've had a 
you know, my parents listen to this podcast, so shout out to them. Like, you know, they did a great job because we had that routine and we had that consistency. And when, you know, I'm not going to say at 14, you always want to be sitting at the table with your parents. I think I had a lot of resistance at that age, but we had that routine and that rhythm to the day. And, but the look in the eye, and I, I mentioned my parents because I don't want to take anything away from them, but there was mm. something about my granddad, my mum's dad, who was Scottish and who was very much in my life when I was growing up. And that's the look that he would have in his eye. Not to say the other grandparents might not, or my parents yeah. might not, but there was something special about the connection that he had with me. And I've never said that openly. And I've never really talked to my parents about that. But yeah, yeah I, as soon as you're saying that, I felt, I felt the warmth you know, yeah. from that feeling. Yeah. So I, yeah. And I think it's something that we do work towards and okay. I hold my hand up. I'm not always on the phone, but I do sometimes feel myself looking at BBC news because there's yeah. something going on in the world. Um, at the lunch, so we, the, the dinner table and Sage is really good at checking in on me and I'll call her on it. Cause she's looking up something on Etsy. I was like, see, you're doing it now. So we do, we're really <laughs> mindful to keep pushing those phones away from the tables we yeah. now turn off the um, the Wi-Fi at night too, yeah. uh, just to feel like we get a better sleep. And so I'm not checking the phone in the morning as I'm waking up. Mm -hmm. So we're really mindful about those things. But yeah, you know, and the other little thing I want to share about the routine thing is what I noticed with both my boys is how important it is for them. And if you take anything out of that routine, now here's one I do. I always walk them to the car because I've been... Um, you know, so often Sage's driving to the office. So she'll often drop off Indy and she's taking it as her role, I guess, is to kind of make sure that transition is really gentle and smooth. And so yeah. he has that consistency. And sometimes I pick him up and he's really excited about that. Um, yeah. But when he leaves, I what I do is I, if there's frost or snow, or maybe I use my breath to create some mist on the window, I do a little drawing, a happy face and a moon because <laughs> he has a book he loves called Papa Moon. So I draw him a little moon. And just oh. little things like that. So there's this, and he'll ask for it. If I forget, he's like, Dada, moon, moon. And he'll, oh. he'll draw a little picture. And then he's happy. Yeah. He gets a kiss and a bugger. A bugger is like a nose rub from yeah. Daniel and the Tiger, which for any parents <laughs> with young kids, check that out on YouTube. Um, but they do bugger, bugger. So we just have the same thing, but every day, consistent. Yes. And it just, so it's just warms his heart because he feels it like does. he yeah, knows where he's coming back. This is, this feels really good to me. This is what we do. It's kind of our special little ritual that makes us, us. Yeah. That's what he's telling you. Totally. And it's such a short thing, but it's, you know, that builds up over time. Yeah. Yeah. And I love it. I, I work really hard at that. I definitely very conscious of like big smiles and like mm -hmm. you know, being excited and because it's fun mm -hmm. being a parent and it's easy to forget that sometimes in the business yeah. of life. So yeah. I kind of, I try to remember that joy when I come back in. And just yeah. yeah, picking them up, giving them a snugs. Yeah, it's no, I, it's really good to hear this stuff. I wanted to go back, Blue, to what you were saying because I think it's probably um, quite common for parents to to experience what you were talking about. That you know, that little little bit of guilt. Like if you see that your child is developing a secure attachment with a caregiver, and um, it is important to be aware of, like it takes a lot of maturity to recognize and acknowledge that. Ultimately being mindful of it will help you to uh, differentiate your feelings and not project them onto your child because ultimately the goal would be is that you want your child to develop a secure attachment with at least one person at wherever they're, they're going, right? So that they can cope with it. And sometimes I think there is an unconsciousness um, that can really interfere with that or whether it's another parent if there's divorce or um, yeah another caregiver where a parent may unconsciously inadvertently undermine the child's connection or they could if they're not aware of it and so, the guilt maybe that they're feeling at that moment yeah and over is going so that energy the facial look and everything that you're saying that we should do it's easy mm -hmm. sometimes to not have that joy and as they're dropping off yeah yeah yeah. And then the child gets that, you know, again, that somatic experience of um, my daddy or my mommy doesn't look happy about this, that I'm happy to see Susie. And um, maybe, maybe this is not okay. Maybe I, and you know, and then, and then of course they're going to be a little more anxious or so. For sure. It, it is. Yeah. No, the, so sometimes think, we have to do a little matchmaking. Right. Um, for children like, Oh, there's Susie. Did you see her smile when she saw you? She's happy to see you. 
And it happens, I mean, I'm just throwing this out there. Maybe it happens with the other kids too. Because in Indy, our little boy, he has, he's very cute. There's a little girl called Hannah and he calls her Hannah Banana. And his sort of two-year-old, <laughs> you know, the way that two-year-olds do speak. And, oh my God, it was just too much. Like Hannah Banana, they were, everybody's lining up COVID appropriately. So with the gaps, two, you know, two people in front is Hannah Banana with the parent. And ha- they're just looking at each other with like showing each other each other's lunch boxes. And they're just <laughs> so much joy when he's oh. that connection. And that seems to be when she's there. He's pretty happy most of the time. Every now and again, maybe yeah. he's been away because there's a bank holiday. So there's like extra four, a few days off away from daycare. So yeah. again, going back is like, whoa, what's that? Hang on. I was really enjoying yeah. time with my parents. Mm-hmm. But generally speaking, yeah, when he sees those other kids and as well, there's a particular carer that he's really attached to, which is kind of adorable as well. It's mm-hmm. I, I, I like that. Like I get really excited about that. I'm not threatened by that, but I can see how yeah. with the guilt that comes in, that that could be a thing. So, so here, so that leads me to another question. I don't think I asked this, but I am assuming you say that it's really important. You have one secure attachment with one person, but can yeah. I just have multiple secure attachments? Like I yes. imagine that's very possible, right? Yes. Oh yes. You could, you can have a secure attachment with both parents, with um, extended family, with a neighbor. I mean, you, you have to be um, in a position of actually, um, figuratively holding holding the child at some point um whether it's you know holding information about them um, that the child feels is safe with you and I, I don't mean like in a secretive kind of way I or like that you know mommy and daddy are getting divorced it could be just information about that child like whether it's you know soccer and what is it that they like or don't enjoy about soccer or about their friendship like just for children to have that um, are they known are they known by this adult and do they feel uh, valued and cared for or loved, depending on the relationship? And do they feel that that adult um, is trustworthy and has their back and knows what is good for that that child? Right. That's, not, that's great. So, yeah, so it's good. We want to come from a place of, you know, them feeling safe and secure with the one main carer or two parents. And then beyond that, the more secure attachments within school and daycare and such, so it's an extended family. Yeah. It's a good thing. And it's, it's never going to be a threat or confuse the main attachment. That no, want with no, the, with the kid. no. Yeah. That's not, not to worry. Yeah. Okay. So everybody, nobody needs to feel guilty anymore about daycare. It's okay for them. To <laughs> Cause I think it's a thing. I think it really is a thing. And maybe, I mean, there's a lot of parents that I've come across certainly in Western Canada that homeschool and in the UK yeah. too. And so, yeah, I, yeah, maybe that's part of it too. I I mean, it's not, and I I just want to be clear, I'm not advocating that more, more children go than, than um, parents feel they need to. It's about trying to find what works for your family and your, and your child. Um, And there, there definitely is literature out there that suggests that when children are really little, it does challenge um, the development of a secure attachment when, when they're really little. No and the duh, number yeah. of hours and i can't remember if it was greenspan um, i'm sorry it might might not be the right name stanley greenspan about the number of hours i remember that early on in my career reading like ideally it's not more than a, a certain number when uh, children are pre-verbal that makes so much sense yeah i mean yeah. as you know that we you know our boy was going i think from the age of 10 months a couple yeah. of days maybe it's not yeah. easy, you know, it isn't easy, but I have to say yeah. he's a thriving kid. He's yes. really securely attached to us. So it's, and I think, yeah, it's a really good point. Well, it, and that's what makes the difference. I think blue is that, is that um, you guys were really thoughtful and really watching him to see how he was doing and how he was after when he came home, was he um, was did he still seem like organized in terms of his emotions and the being uh, the reciprocity and the relationship back and forth and able to be um, awake and present and playing with you guys and feeling secure and held? If you have a a baby or a child who, upon pickup and getting home, is just a mess, um, then obviously you need to revisit something's yeah. not going okay. 
I think no, that's a really good reminder, actually, because I forgot that. But we did. You're right. We will let you look for signs, you know, for that secure attachment pre-verbal if they yeah. are going to daycare or have another carer. And ideally, we wouldn't do that, to be honest. We wouldn't. We would, you know, but just with our careers and life, we're lucky we have four day work week. So with a four day work week, we have the bigger weekend. So we, and we don't we try and pick him up early too. like. But you're right. It's different for everybody. And you just have to you just have to, I think, keep revisiting yeah. it, be mindful of what's going on and not just like get into one routine and just, you know, let's just make that work. Yeah. Um, so that's so I think that's all really great stuff with young kids. Um, and I had a note to ask you, too. I'm just interested with attachment, secure attachment with a parent. Is zero to five the key age? Can we make up time afterwards? Because sometimes people have divorced, separated, dads are away yeah. for like many months, sometimes working yeah. if they're in the military, oil and gas, whatever. So is there a key age? Ideally, I think you've kind yeah. of just almost yeah. commented on that. So the majority of actual brain growth in terms of the size of the growth is in the first three years. And the, the child's first um, significant relationship with a parent or caregiver provides um, like a template. Like if I took a piece of paper right now and I folded it, I made a fold in it. Imagine that fold as being the first um, really important um, attachment experience. So whether it's warm and nurturing and responsive or the opposite, that that crease in that paper so I can I can open that piece of paper up. I can push down on the fold. I can color it, uh, but I will still see that where that original fold was. Think of that as being like the template, the attachment template, upon which the child will have uh, an unconscious like expectations. Um, it's kind of like the lens that they see other relationships through. So if for some reason the child has an insecure attachment as their first significant relationship, like children who maybe um, end up being, you know, in, I don't know, in foster care or um, end up being adopted for different reasons. Um, it doesn't mean that the child cannot develop a secure attachment later. It just takes more work. And the younger a child is, the easier it seems to be because the brain, the plasticity is so high. Um, the, the, because it takes uh, repetition of experience over and over and over again to cultivate another fold in the paper that can be, um, so we, like I said, you know, you can do different things to flatten and try to get rid of that original crease. Um, you can have another one that becomes quite deep as well. It's just that the first one is still, is still there. So the brain will develop different pathways around expectations and that, that, that other pathway or that template can be the one that gets used more over over time rather than the first one. Um, there are, are different times in a person's life where that that plasticity um, and I guess um, openness in the brain to uh, redoing or repairing attachment becomes especially high again, and that is during the adolescent years. And during pregnancy, so sorry guys, this doesn't apply to you, um, but those are two times that you can really rework the attachment style or the, the primary, like the, that, that template, kind of like a transparency for those of you that grew up with transparencies in, in high school that the teachers would put on top of those projectors, kind of oh, like wow. that, yeah, so that yeah, lens. Yeah, you're you, going back a little bit, <laughs> yeah, totally. Yeah. Okay, that's like a, that's good to know though, I think, because I feel like, Actually, I've got a, without going into that, but I have a, yeah, I have an adopted sister um, and she came much later on. So yeah, I'm aware of that. Like, it takes a lot of work, but it yeah. can be done. And also yeah. dads that maybe were away a lot when the kids were younger and then are reconnecting when the kids are older. Um, and again, I, I'm, I'm hearing that you can build that secure attachment. Absolutely. Again, it just takes some, takes some time. Yes. And it's important for parents to know that are in that kind of a situation where there are challenges geographical or in terms of time to, to not give up and to know that this isn't a conscious choice that your child might be making that if they're they are looking at you and have certain expectations or see um or interpreting 
the the energy or whatever it is that you're you know that you're giving off in in the relationship or in the parenting just know that you, you have to you have to hold on and and see it through and stick it through for your child to really have a different experience like for you for you to basically um I see like the heart can have like you know armor defendedness depending on what the experience has been and we can we can melt that with healthy parenting interactions and repetition over and over again that's um, good you, know, you, you can actually depend on me yeah and yeah, I yeah. do love you no matter what even if you you know do this or that there's nothing that you can do that's going to change my my love for you or my interest and my time invested into this relationship yeah yeah that's really good. I think again that's another really good take home for a lot of parents because I think like well families are we're a lot more transient now so you know a lot of people do travel for work and such and then COVID of course as well is kind of pulled yeah. families apart so that brings me to sort of my last thought here around attachment um because I know it is a huge topic we can, you can spend hours talking about um so I'm feeling pretty confident in my relationship with my child who's overseas so for anybody that hasn't listened to any of the other podcasts you know he's seven years old and he's been overseas now yeah since he was like almost five so it's been like two to you know coming up to three years probably but i do see him i see him on holidays now covid has kept us away oh this time eight and a half months by the time he makes it back here he was meant to come here at easter but because of the travel restrictions it hasn't happened um Mm -hmm. i know i'm gonna knock on wood right now that summer is gonna be fine for travel Mm -hmm. for on for he's canadian so he can he can come back in the country but it's not easy and i know a lot of people out there are feeling that so what are things that we can do when there's a distance factor um so little activities that you do now let's assume just for this argument's sake that you already have an attachment with your kid but now you're going away for work for three months or your kid's going overseas to spend time with other family members for a few months like any you know what could you say around that i what i can say and i've shared this before is you introduced a really great book called the invisible string by patrice cast i think i forgot the name right k-a-r-s-t um, yes that's you right. have it in your hand. That's great. I got it right here. <laughs> so I bought that for my kid uh, when he was five. So it's for younger children. Um, but I read that to him just to get to him to understand this idea that we are connected no matter what. And I kind of built that story yeah. up. Um, yeah. What could you say about that and the activities that you could do? Well, I really like the one that you told me about recently, Blue. I think you should share that one. It, that's a fun one. Um so because of the podcast, I, yeah, I was trying to think, how can I, how can I record a podcast for my kid kind of thing? He loves storybooks. Um, and I've tried to record myself with the picture book with a camera and it's a bit tricky. And then you have a really big file to send. And so that sort of didn't quite work. I probably could figure that out. So what I've been doing is I've been recording myself. You can use a phone. Um, I'm, I have a really nice microphone for the podcast, but phone works fine and what i can do is i can record myself reading a a, it's a storybook so i'm reading this is kind of a little old school but some people may know the mrs frisbee and the rats of nim the book doesn't matter but i do love this book and it's i just happened to find on the shelf and i think it's my original book it's pretty old and so i read the chapter um just one chapter at a time takes about 10 minutes and i do voices no pressure, but I do. I try and do voices for some of the characters. I don't do a great job, but he loves it. I sent him one chapter just to see if he could open it. And he immediately sent a message back with like, because he can write now, which is great. So he can simple words, but he can like, you know, message me. Yeah. He loves it. So he gets oh, now to listen to dad reading a storybook. Um, and so he's had four chapters now. And then I said to him yesterday, I said, look, I'll send you chapter five. Maybe let's pick days. So I'll do it on Tuesday and Wednesday. You get chapters, like one chapter twice, uh, you know, on a Tuesday, one on a Thursday. And he looked at me and said, so I guess it's nearly finished. Is it? Is it chapter five? The end? I was like, buddy, we are just getting started. (laughs) He was like, his eyes just like widened up light. And he, yeah, it's a really nice way to maintain that contact, even if I can't be there reading a story. So it's, you know, Uh, and there's other things to do, but that's one that I found. I I think that that, I think it's a 
beautiful idea. And I think what you know you've done there is you've you know demonstrated an example of what speaks to you. Like this was your book. And in some families, you know, the there's going to be a value on different things. You know, I I can just imagine what it's like for your son to hear your voice reading out loud. Like again, that that um, the nervous system experience, the somatic, the felt sense in his body of actually hearing you. It's very intimate. So I love that. Um, my mom, when my kids were young, so from Nova Scotia to here in, in Nelson, BC, she used to send partially colored pages out of a coloring book. So she would start the coloring and then send it in the snail mail to the kids. And then my kids would finish coloring and we'd either send it back or just keep it. But they were doing an activity with her that was of interest to them. Such I like a- that. I'm going to use that one. That's a good one. It's a great idea. Because you're both and you're both invested in that project, whatever that yeah. project might be. Yeah. It's, um, it's and I think I feel like this is stuff too that you can if the kids are older, you just find other ways, but other similar sort of techniques, right? I don't know what I don't know what would work for a teenager. I'll, I'm going to figure this out as I go along. But mm-hmm. FaceTime is this huge lifesaver because we can FaceTime mm-hmm. pretty regularly. And oh, here I've got to show you this. I'm going to share this with you. Um, Okay, so what I ask, so Seth will read stories to me, not all the time, but he's been, you know, he'll share that he can read. I'll be like, oh, cool, get the book out, let's have a read. And then he'll hold the page up like that to the screen uh, when he doesn't know a word, so I can say the word for him. Great. So we've done a bit of that. And here's adorable. So I also work hard to maintain the attachment for the siblings. Now they've done that work themselves. They hung out when they were very young. Seth would FaceTime, you know, during the um, the labor in the hospital. So we'd have Seth yeah. there, not watching the whole thing go down, but just being present. It's <laughs> like, hey, buddy, we're thinking of you. You're here in our yeah. heart, just so you know, but we can't, be, you know, you can't watch the birth. But so he, so they've, and they met as babies and spent, sorry, when Indy was a baby. So they have yeah. an attachment, which is very real and very, so now Seth has recorded himself reading storybook, uh, Dr. Zeus for Indy. Oh and my goodness. They've got him an iPad a while back. Yeah. So he can record so it. You taught him that. Yeah. So he's, so what he, it was very cute because it's aimed at him. So Seth will say, Hey, Indy, sorry, I was meant to send this last night, but I was t- too tired. And here I am. I'm going to read you this book. And then he reads the Dr. Zeus Cat in the Hat. And then Indy will often, when he's eating or whatever, um obsessively watch it i mean it has to we have to be ready for it to be played 10 times over um but yeah so that's kind of really nice for those guys for the kids to actually connect yeah so so that sounds beautiful but i just want to highlight you know what stands out in my mind here the significant part is is the the work that you've done to develop the secure attachment is getting replayed in in his relationship with his brother right right yeah. And then not, not you're going to get me crying. Kids aren't doing that. What's that? You're crying. You're gonna, no, you're going to get me crying in a second, oh. <laughs> but it's, yeah, yeah, there's something about their relationship, which is really special. And yeah. yeah, you're right. Maybe that, you know, without me realizing what yeah. I've been doing with Seth is like, he's doing that with his little brother. And yeah. now we play games of um, a game called skate for anybody, any dad's parents that have kids with a skateboard. It's that game that they play where they each do a trick and then the other person takes, you know, so here, try this trick and the other person has to try it. Yeah. And then you get a letter if you fail it. Anyway, they yeah. be, they play that together too online. I, I think photos with older kids, you know, sending songs, singing recordings with younger kids. There's, you know, it's limitless. It's up to your imagination, but something that cultivates something, you know, it's shared, it's unique to your relationship. And maybe um you, you know uh, we we um up until covid have been having new year's parties very family oriented but lots of people and um we in the summer we we go on uh, multi-day hikes with another family we've been doing this for years and whenever one of the songs because there's always a theme song during the hike that the the kids have come up with that you know ends up being sung at least 100 times right and whenever those songs come on you know, when we're out in the dance floor dancing, that song comes on and there's always like that, that, that feeling of, oh my God, it's our hike song. You know, when we all come together in the center of the dance floor and it's really special. 
So whether it's, you know, during a visit that it was a new song that came out that you sang with your kids or even just heard in the background, but sending it, it's kind of like, it reminds me of um, completely different, but a romantic relationship. Like when you first start falling in love with someone, all those special little things that you do can be applied to um, strengthening the attachment with our child, obviously in an appropriate way, but a lot of those elements. So even sending something special like a dried leaf from the backyard, this is from the tree that we planted together, or here's a picture of it, or yeah, I heard this song today, or a note, or from a parent, a t-shirt with their armpit smell still in it, not washed to send to your child to sleep in, um, those kinds of special intimate things that are unique to that relationship. Yeah, I love that. The um, It's funny you say that because I've said that a few times to people that sometimes it feels like it's a romantic relationship in a weird way, but in the yeah. sense of like just how, just the love, you know, you're just, your heart fills yeah. because you get um, a card in the post or when you do yeah. see each other, it's just the most amazing thing. And yeah. in some ways, I mean, I'm not going to lie. Like it's much better to have your kid around. There's no doubt about it. Yeah. But because you get tested and you have to use your imagination, there's, there's almost like a magic. There's almost like it's a stronger relationship that we're creating because of this distance apart that yeah. I hope one day that it won't be the case that we'll be spending more time together again. But yeah, it's really good to hear that because I think for a lot of people with COVID, with grandparents, with cousins, with aunts and uncles, and with that distance that a lot of us have had to kind of deal with, Mm -hmm. I think this is stuff that can relate, you know, is relatable. Yeah. So fab. Thank you so much for joining me. Thank um, you. And I would love to talk more. Um, I know you're busy. And, uh, yeah. but this is, yeah, this is a really great starting point, hopefully to do more of this. Um, yeah, so I, would, I would love, I would love to do more of, of this with you, Blue. And I, I just want to say how grateful I am that you're, that you're doing this work. Thank, thank you. you so much. And thank you yeah. for being being a supporter and um yeah and volunteering your time it's so fantastic okay. uh, so let's be in touch and um okay. yeah enjoy the rest of the day you too bye thanks for joining us this week on dad without borders a full list of episodes can be found at dadwithoutborders.com and for updates follow on instagram at dadwithoutborders you can subscribe to the show in iTunes, Spotify, Google, or radio.com. While you're at it, if you enjoyed listening or you know any dads that might find value in this show, please share the podcast with your friends. Dad Without Borders will be back next week with another dad and further insights with Todd Kettner.